Borak Dog Earthlets. My name is Connor, alongside my friend Fox. This is the 177th episode of Space Spinner oh. 2000. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> no. Get, get, get down. Podcast with two of Yeah, makes it his own Galaxy's Greatest Comic 2000 AD. One month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for January and February 1988. Progs 558 to 562. This time, Purity gets a date, Johnny Alpha gets a new job, the Monad returns, and Dread goes for a walkabout in the halls of the Judda. Ooh, gotta watch out for the Judda. Be careful, buddy. If you want to read along with us, you'll find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dread, The Complete Case Files 11, ABC Warriors, The Mech Files 1, Nemesis, The Warlock, Book 3, Strontium Dog, SDHG Files 4, and Zenith, Phase 2. Ooh. And before we get going today, Fox, I just want to say this episode will come out on October 7th, 2019. Okay. As you may recall, our first episode was released October 5th, 2016. <gasps> Ooh. Which makes this our third anniversary. Oh my god, why? <laughs> you know, the eventual march of time towards the future, man. Oh my god, we've only gotten to 1988. I feel, I feel like... like we've gotten pretty far, like 11 years. Oh, That's pretty good. I, I mean, we it certainly hasn't felt like 11 years. It's felt a fraction of that time because it's been three. But oh my god, we've gotten yeah. through a lot of comics. We've gone through a lot. You know, we're we're, we're eastbound and down. we got a, a long way to go and a long time to get there. So it's good to, good good times, you know. That's a, what a beautiful sentiment. That's right. Yeah, you can be a Smokey My Band any time, buddy. <gasps> um, and yeah, yeah, but, you know, three years in, who knows how many to go. I'm super stoked. And I, Fox, I just really want to thank you for sticking what? with me all this time. Your dedication and passion knows no bounds. And I could have done it without you. So here's to many more years of Space Spinner 2000. And Conrad, the only thing that I can appreciate you for... Is putting up with my constant bullshit and waylaying. <laughs> no comment. No, 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 man. I appreciate. <laughs> I, I appreciate you taking the time. Like, listen. Like, as much as there might be occasional times where um, I might get frustrated or I'm like, oh, let's, oh. you know, we, 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 we got to get at it. The fact is, like, we've done 177 episodes. <laughs> and that's more than a lot of people can say, and oh. we're able to. Get them out pretty much weekly and all that stuff. So it's like it's hard to get it, 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 it's hard to have any real complaints, man. Because I love doing this show with you, and oh. I'm really looking forward just to continuing. Doing it. I love you too, Conrad. We'll oh, kiss yeah, after buddy. the end of the episode. Woo! <laughs> First kiss in <laughs> and, three years. Oh man, we got no, they that. won't they complete? Get it going. Anyway, uh, speaking of a uh, long lost loves, Fox. <laughs> three one ABC Warriors. Man, I'm I really I'm digging the way that the art was going in this uh in this month, man. It's wild. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, uh scripter so scripter about Pat Mills, art about SMS, letting her about uh Jack Potter. First time in the prog for the artist SMS, who's an award winning illustrator of covers for sci fi ma- magazines and books, as well as a couple works of uh by Alan Moore and, and Neil Gaiman, and some inking for Brian Talbot. Sharing our duties with Bisley for this series. It's looking good, man. Really love yeah. this uh just like the kind of uh like the uplighting on faces, you know? Yeah. No, there's some real interesting stuff with lighting in, in in a lot of the darkness we're seeing in this uh, series of, uh, of 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 comics. So we open with the bots traveling on foot through a tunnel that's full of primitive markings showing just giant robots killing people, which is pretty cool. <laughs> it's just the way it is, man. Got to yeah. make more murder machines that are better than the last murder machines to keep murdering all of the people. Always. They're really freaking out, uh, mongrel. 
Deadlock says that's good, though Hammerstein disagrees, and Terry disagrees with him. You should, you should be scared. The mechanics are awesome. <laughs> Mongo tries to get reassurance that he'll be reunited with Laura oh, when he dies. Everybody and, just shits on poor Mongrel on that. Yeah, they just <laughs> quickly just like bear down on him. Like, yeah, they disabuse him of this notion. Mechquake is quick to also mention... Um, like Mechwick says, everybody dies, and then he says, like, everyone's like, Mechwick, why are you suddenly talking all the time? He's like, oh, Mechwick, usually strong, silent type, but also has deep thoughts. Yeah, <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> After the bickering, Deadlock pulls over and lays a traditional Celtic cross uh, tarot card spread mm. in the third position, which normally in tarot cards means the uh, one for subconscious influences. He lays Ooh. the judgment card. And Deadlock says this means the final day of judgment, though, of course, in tarot cards, it also means like a rebirth and resurrection. Well, anyway, in this case, it's like the rebirth and resurrection of human goo into a gross, giant, oh, God, like terrifying, just monster. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, to, to me, it is funny that like all of the all of the tarot cards that mean like death are the one or that like say death on like a literal death card. Or judgment or whatever usually just mean change. Yeah. Whereas like uh, like seemingly innocuous ones like the tower are the ones that actually mean like like you're gonna die. Be be, be worried, <laughs> you know. Um, but so Keep deadlock. It yeah, deadlock says that. Um, my God, where am I? Oh, uh, yeah. This time though, as we get a, a quick recap, a warning that the monad is coming. Traveling down the timeline, messing up things as it goes. It looks like a phage, right? Like almost like um, what is it? Like a a virus, especially yeah, with like, the top of its head, and then it's got all these disgusting, just bugly parts. And bleh. yeah, it's got kind of like 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 a horse head, but like a skinless oh. horse head, if that makes sense. Oh like, like, man, kind yes. of a, a, the head of, a, of of like a horse skeleton with like some musculature. Oh, I mean, when we get to 560, I mean, it's a contender for my top art this year. Yeah, and then also just a shitload of uh, of like legs, like 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 like, like from a spider crab. I said it has Ugh. like like three, the legs of three different spider crabs attached to it. It's just long chitinous. Um, we cut to a human city and uh, see that time is running oddly there, most notably by zombies coming to life and walking the streets <sighs> and just killing people, ripping them apart as yeah. zombies do. Totally. Hammerstein tries to tell Deadlock to chill, but then the Monad attacks! Oh my god, how are we going to handle it? Ah, don't worry about it. We'll handle it like last time. Hammers and guns. I mean... I should say also just in this first prog, um, there's some really just just great atmospheric writing mm. by Pat Mills that, that that that's kind of hard for me to 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 bring through. But just talking about like this feeling of like dread as the monad is approaching and stuff like that's very cool. It really is yeah. a vast mind cloud of electromagnetic energy formed by burning living protoplasm. Really great <laughs> sentence. Good times. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the worst kind of pollution. Like. <laughs> It's us pollution. I mean, honestly, if it was any more of a pollution allegory, it'd be a Captain Planet villain. But that's just sort of something we shouldn't get into. Okay. Um, the Monad is attacking and things look bad. But Hammerstein's actually feeling pretty good because he seems to have fallen in love with Terry. Hey, not or, so bad. That seems pretty good. Yeah, or at least fallen in something. It's kind of hard to tell with these robots. Um, the fight rolls on as Hammerstein contemplates, you know, doing it. And he's apparently <laughs> afraid of of expressing those emotion emotions after something happened to his first programmer Jody which i mean this is just sort of a passing moment of that but i guess you know stick a well, feather in that cap yeah 
we'll learn more later. We also learn that um, Joe Pineapples um, had some scandal involving an officer's wife, and that's why he's just a grunt instead of an elite assassin droid. Good work, um, Joe. Everyone piles in as, Ham- um, as as Hammerstein realizes that Deadlock is missing and runs to find him, and he finds Deadlock meditating on the wall scrawling we saw earlier. Which is he like, constant- great, dude, just come and help. And he's just like, oh, there's a few more minutes of this meditation, man. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> he can't, but it looks like he's actually just, uh, he's he's powering up to summon a spell. He's getting his Goku on, just standing in the back and going like, <laughs> ah. <laughs> and then um, says a word that no one can ever express. Absolutely. He summons these cave paintings into reality and they attack the monad. The monster in defense reverts into some kind of sort of electrical ball and starts looking for a host. It flies straight into Hammerstein, taking him over. And God, Deadlock then, yeah, Deadlock snuffs out a candle and Hammerstein knows that he is damned. That's that's some shady shit by old Deadlock. Not cool, buddy. <clears throat> So the monad has infested Hammerstein. He's looking real gross because of it. Like yep. his, uh, all of his metal works have kind of grown out and become sort of semi-organic and stuff like that. He's looking He's, gooey, oogie, and uh, kind of Geiger-esque. Absolutely. He's barely in control of himself, just basically able to scream help me to his comrades. Terry doesn't know what to do, but Mechquake does kill him. Oh, come on, Mechquake. <laughs> There's some cool parts here where uh, we see like him moving around and one of his like one of his feet has turned into a hoof and stuff yeah. like that. There's a lot of mixing of like um demonic images and like a a, a gross goopy hammerstein. <laughs> his buddies prepare to take him out. Joe wants to snipe him, but Mongrel says he should t- he should mash Hammerstein because he understands him the most. And with Hammerstein smushed, Deadlock takes over. He'll anoint Hammerstein's seven orifices to ste- to what? seal the monad within the wardroid. Mm-hmm. And Fox, when he said this, like I think you're about to do, this led me down, down a rabbit hole about the number of orifices a human has. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm guessing it's not seven. It's seven for men and eight for women, unless you count eye sockets. But then you start getting into like if you count like nipples and sweat glands but and skin so, pores so and that's stuff. And that's just too many. So that's saying he's got a b-hole. I mean, I'm sure he's got some output and like, uh, like you know, I'm, I'd imagine for a robot, it might be more like um, exhausts and like uh, places to put in fuel God. and stuff like I'm that. I'm just saying that I don't know Drain if I fluids. would want Deadlock around any of my seven orifices. That's no, he's all. got those huge claws, buddy. You don't want that. No, it looks really <laughs> uncomfortable. I mean, maybe he's a delicate orifice activator, but you know. Rather not take the risk. Deadlock says Hammerstein must be sacrificed, but Joe Pineapple says no. Fuck yeah, Joe. I will blow you up with this fucking bazooka. Do not go near him. Yeah, he won't let his friend die and instead demands Deadlock use his powers to purge the monad from Hammerstein. Um, Using his magic blade, the Ace of Swords, Deadlock drives the monster from Hammerstein, setting it running. And because of it, Hammerstein dies in Terry's arms. Which, again, would have really behooved fucking Deadlock to go through and explain in painstaking detail why he was trying to lock this in and that it would have killed him otherwise. I'm sure that's what he'd say that he was trying to do that and everybody was being really bullheaded about it. But he wasn't trying as hard as he could have. That's all no, I, I mean, he was doing this mystical mumbo jumbo shit like, oh, but everything will be fucked if we don't do it. Not like yeah. playing to what they're already co- yeah, talking about. Come out and say it plainly. Yeah. yeah. 
Basically, the monad was a parasit was a parasitoid, so it destroys its host as it occupies it. Terry's sad. Mongrel's kind of envious because he wants to die and see Laura again. <sighs> Seemingly from beyond death, Hammerstein narrates that Deadlock's plan has worked and he is now in control of the warriors. And we end this page with an image of, of Hammerstein's grave, his helmet hanging off a post. Which, man, that's sad. Yeah. Uh, Prog 562 has both a long ABC Warriors and a long dread. ABC Warriors is nine pages long, which is like doubles, double the, no- the normal size. It sort of needs it. I love the backstory and then like kind of, ha- well, anyway, I'll let yeah, you get definitely. to it because it's real good. Yeah. The Warriors say their goodbyes to Hammerstein and leave and Hammerstein keeps narrating despite being dead. So we've got a real lovely bones kind of situation here. We see an EKG meter beep and we're back in the past as a human in a suit and a lady in coveralls work on a three month old Hammerstein. Well, hey, why not? We got to make him better than all of these other old fucking war robots, which I guess are just real bad. Yeah, this dude is a is a robot psychiatrist, I guess. Though he's Weird. putting the moves on this lady, uh, Jody Jones, I guess. Which, all right. I mean, yeah, fair. We learned she is making war droids. That's probably a pretty good gig. Yeah, I mean, she's, she's had some success, although limited, because we learned the history of the war droids. Hammerstein's a Mark III. The Mark I couldn't recognize civilians and did a few war crimes, just killing, <laughs> like, uh, unarmed people and stuff. People hiding from him. Reds under the bed. Um, the Mark II, they got, they got, they, uh, they added moral values to, but because of that, it immediately became a pacifist and tried yeah. to talk everybody out of fighting. Like, in the middle of fucking war, just like, hey, guys, we shouldn't do whatever, and and then, yeah, they just end up shooting him. Forgiving the, the Volgs even as they kill him. Yeah. Uh, the Mark III was gonna, is to have those values but have them be tempered by patriotism. Moral enough to not kill civilians, but not moral enough to question why he was fighting in the first place. Do you understand this subtext, Vox? Oh, oh. It's right on the surface. It's te- more text than subtext. <laughs> it really is. At the bar, at a bar, Jones and the Shrink are discussing that Hammerstein needs, um, still needs this master program, which is the soul of his of his uh, robot personality. He can't accept secondary programs and orders without it, and they're having trouble getting it to stick. The hmm. Shrink decides to bring Hammerstein out with intensive therapy, bombarding his mind with books, film, music until he's forced to emote, sort of a Ludovico technique, uh, Clockwork Orange style. Heartburn and the War Factory. And it's like all these weird books that he's like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We we got a, a quick montage and it seems like it's a mix of like terrible war crimes and Nazi concentration camps, but also romance novels by Barbara Cartland, Bambi, Sergeant Bilko, Tychowski and uh, and Gershwin became a killing machine program to like Rhapsody in Blue. Which I think was a pretty good line. <laughs> um, they, like they leave for the night, and he's like, "Yeah, just toss in uh, Guernica, Sophie's Choice, and this uh, military themed pinup magazine I got." Which what the fuck? <laughs> That's crazy. We see Hammerstein. Like, somehow Hamilton has to make it through these paradoxes, the contradictions and hypocrisy mm. of modern war and human nature, and that's just impossible, you know? He's sort of like, uh, if they're on our side, they're they're freedom fighters, and if they're on the on the enemy side, they're uh, evil terrorists. I mean, that kind my, of stuff. my favorite phrase is, it's good to love animals, then kill and eat them, but not children. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, just these little things that I, I that humans could handle but a a robot coming from outside just can't. It's like what? <laughs> 
As uh, as a Jody looks over some papers and she seems to have won a uh, a Marvin Award, which is based on the uh, on the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy character Marvin the Paranoid Android, mm. and specifically the uh, the the TV show version of that robot. Um, she tells the shrink that she's worried that all this stimulus might overload Hammerstein, and that wouldn't be great. But the shrink, Justin, I guess his name is, says that an explosion of emotion might be good for him. So why not do it directly? Ugh. Kiss me. Yeah, he's just been a real creepo this whole time. Absolutely. We uh, then cut to Judge Dredd and come back with uh, Jones being credulous, but they do indeed kiss. And when they do, Hammerstein comes alive. Jealousy time. Jody Jones thinks Hammerstein is trying to protect her, and he lashes out with his hammer and seems to accidentally hit a sponker upside the head and kill her. Oh my god, Jody! Flashing forward, we see Hammerstein sitting covered in a bloody American flag, and it implies that he killed Justin as well, screwed his head off. And uh, remembering this moment triggers an emotion in Hammerstein. Jealousy! And he just crawls out of the pit that they buried him in. Yeah, he's back from the grave. Next time on ABC Warriors, the Eternal City. Man, so fucking awesome. So fucking awesome, dude. He just claws back to life by being It's really shitless. cool. I love this final part just because it also really re- reminds me of that, uh, of, of a RoboCop, you know? When they're yeah. like doing all that stuff of just sort of, when they're building him, they just do all the, uh, like, you just see things from RoboCop's perspective and, mm-hmm. like, you know, r- scientists doing various things. things. Having I, I a Christmas cool. party. Exactly. Whatever. One bad motherfucker. It's going to be, yeah, good times. <laughs> Yeah, oh, awesome. Man. All right. Yeah, so and, and uh, speaking of uh, of uh, ridiculous backstories, Fox. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thrill 2, Zedith. God, I, I mean, he is, for me, this guy is like the f- perfect fucking evil but good yeah. scientist man. No, he's a he's a super villain, but you know, like a like a good heel in wrestling. He's a super villain whose whose motive, who's telling the truth, and whose motives seem correct, despite the fact that he's doing things exactly. Evilly. So, script robot for Zenith Grant Morrison, art robot Steve Yole, letting robot Mark King. No credit card for this one, but I'm assuming that that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And all the narration for this um, story or for this prog comes from Michael Payne's book Seizing the Fire. It seems the uh, nuke dropped on Berlin in December 1944, ended the war in about a month, though still eight months ahead of schedule. Yeah, Uh, but, you know, oh, I'm fucking Churchill, and I'm still going to send one of our best fucking super people into Berlin. Absolutely, yeah. In the uh, paint, we see Payne leaving Churchill's address in the memorial for Maxi Man disgusted. He knows that the British government um, sold out Maxi Man to send him into into that nuke. Such horseshit. Yeah, he dreams of a better world and plans to build it. That's right. It's time for us to get out of the way of these super people. Hey, we've all heard this narrative before, but you know what? I love it. There's definitely more reading of a William Blake's Tiger Tiger in here as well, just to kind of keep yeah. that theme going. Um, but yeah, so um, post-war, he um, he pro- he commences to play in God. The the government snags ten pregnant women, inject them with the Maxi Man serum. Oh God, and wait. And- Oh man, the the whole narration of the horrific babies that come out of this were yeah. real fucking gross. The first two are girl are born girls and are fine. The third one is a stillborn sexless abomination. Uh, the rest are um, the sixth is a skinless monster with a dozen mouths that he basically Ugh. just uh, caps right there on the on on the. Uh, it was constantly table. screaming and whimpering. 
Good times. Um, and then the final was a true monster, a storm of shapes speaking in tongues, and it could not die. So we uh, we just stuck it in this room here. Uh, we're yeah. gonna forget about it. Some tells Named me that Chimera thing's gonna come back. Trapped it in a uh, in an electromagnetic snare where it remains to this day. So I guess just put a pin in that one, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. it's funny. All this Oof. eugenics and Chimera stuff does does really remind you of Al- of a current Alex Jones speak. Oh, it really does. It's like this whole thing is disgusting. Look at you with sad human eyes. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> um, the uh, the surviving children though are raised together and develop powers of puberty. Payne won the Nobel Prize for what he calls uh, angetics, okay. which is sort of what, what he calls making superheroes, angeticists. Um, and oh the government <laughs> attempts to turn these supers- funded angeticists. <laughs> exactly. They're turning all the kids super-powered. <laughs> turning all the frogs super-powered. Oh, um, no. But government, so the, the, the government attempts to turn these supers into soldiers, but that fails and said they become, you know, dirty hippies instead, of course. Well, and that's the thing is like he, it, it, there's this whole backdrop from pain where he's just like, yeah, they just, they were trying to turn him into soldiers for a while. And I just sat back and I'm like, you guys are stupid as fuck. These people are better than you. They are better than you people. Yeah. Um, and they, of just, course, they're know, not going to get and, controlled by you. It was just a very cool sentiment from this guy. Definitely, he's like, yeah, like, like, like. He's a very like. Uh, I'm not part of it, but but has a, a a kind of magneto flair of kind of like you know this is the next mm-hmm. evolution of humanity. You uh, you ants don't understand, you know, yeah. kind of situation. But unfortunately, then they started dying, falling into mirrors, mm-hmm. vanishing, and the survivors um, got some sort of mysterious disease and then lost their powers. Hmm, With, peculiar. Uh, with all the superhumans gone, the USA quickly initiated a worldwide superhuman test ban, and Payne was discredited. Um, so now, many years later, he's working illegally for a prominent businessman and has made at least two more super beings, Shockwave and Blaze. But mm. now, he needs one more thing, and his goal will be complete. Zenith. Is that just he wants Zenith's uh, baby-making powers? Is Diana? I can't comment, but Zenith will return in August of 1988 for Fuck. Phase 2. That's so long from now, and I'm so stoked. Like, the this whole thing has gotten me kind of kind of jittery for the next uh, next yeah. episodes of Zenith. It should be very exciting. I'm, I'm pretty stoked for it as well. Um, yeah, we're about eight months or maybe like seven months away from it. So just a couple episodes. Mm. We should get there sooner than you'd think. Awesome. Uh, I'm so excited. Yeah. Yeah, and speaking of exciting promised showdowns, Fox. Oh, fuck yes. <laughs> Thrill 3, Judge Dredd. Oh, man. Just like, yeah, there's a there's a specific shot in 560 with Halls of the Jetta that I love. Like once Definitely, he flips yeah. the jet, God, it just blows his brains out. This whole thing is <laughs> awesome. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So a script robot, John Wagner, Alan Grant, art robot, Brenda McCarthy and Will Simpson, letting robot, Tom Frame. I love the uh, the Lost Tribe. It looks like it's uh, written in bacon strips. Absolutely. <laughs> in the beginning was Judd. Judd was all wise and all seeing, and righteousness shone from him. But the rulers of his city were one with the devil. And when Judd came forward to take his rightful place, they conspired against him and cast him out into the wilderness. Sounds like a huge see- crybaby. Yeah, we see an old man sitting on a stone on a stone throne, surrounded by Judda with staves and shields, and just a lot of skulls and judge imagery and, <laughs> and general insanity. And they're all frowny. 
Uh, every single yeah. one of them is a frown master. Well, of course. Um, it seems all this is being said by the Judda to, um, or by the by the Judda that that Dread captured last episode. Mm. Um, he's been he's just dropping religion despite being pumped full of uh, truth juice. Yeah, <laughs> whatever seem, else. And they seem to have to got. keep giving him more of this uh, truth juice, just pumping yeah. him. The Judda tries for the poison capsule in his teeth, but. Um, this isn't Dredd's first rodeo, so he's snagged before he can use it. <laughs> Which is smart as hell. Yeah. Meanwhile, they've scanned they've scanned the genes of the two Judd that were captured. This one and one that's like in in a coma in the hospital. Um, the that the the one that's um in a coma has the same is the same strain as Dredd, and that confirms it's the lost tribe of the judges. Ooh. But who are these lost tribes people? Hmm. Oh, there's Flashback one to Mega guy City named one. Judge Judd. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, after the first attack by the Judda, Judge Silver spilled the beans. The Judda must be from Morton Judd. Hmm. Morton. Yeah. In the early days of Mega City One, Judd was the head of genetics and on the Council of Five, along with Judge with, with Judge Fargo. The Judge Fargo. Yeah. Judge uh, Dredd's clone daddy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Judd argued that they should just, you know, clone and ge- and and genetically engineer the populace of Mega City One to be do- do- docile and obedient. Why not? I and I but, love how Fargo steps in on this one. He's uh, even though uh, uh, the current chief judge completely, you know, kind of agreed with him. Yeah, Silver Fargo was, was pretty like, down with Judd, but Fargo's yeah, like we owe it to the. We should not play. Uh, we should serve the people and not play God with them and stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how well this jives with everything else that involves the Justice Department. Like, it it it, it feels like a moment, like a momentary mercy that that sort of lets them justify all the other harsh and oh sure know, fascistic things they 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 do to the people. I guess sure. I'm. I think you know the employing of uh, subliminal messaging or like yeah deafening people with sound or or giant amounts of riot foam. Um, you know, like I mean, like that's they, I guess a technical choice as opposed to one that genetically alters them into not people, right? Yeah, I mean, they're they're talking a good game about um free will and stuff, but but when it comes down to it, they will do a lot to control what the citizens think and how they react to things oh, and yeah. stuff. Um, but anyway, <laughs> in response to all this, Judd led a coup against Fargo, but that was put down. Be. For, but before a judge could be executed, he escaped with a few judge scientists and a bunch of judge genetic material. Mm-hmm. Now it seems he's planning to reconquer the city with clone troops. But from their bodies, dust and pollen samples confirm that they came from the Radback, you know, the futuristic outback in the center of Australia. Yeah. But um, not much else. I mean, it's radioactive in the future, I should say. It's not radioactive now, just for the record. Well, um, and and like they just seem, at least for me, I, you know what? I'll hold my questions to the end. I've got so okay. many questions about how the Jetta work. Sure. Uh, so anyway, uh, Dredd is sent to Oz in an attempt to, to draw Judd out. Or draw the Judda out. And it worked, and now the judges are sweating this Judda until he finally snaps and through sheer force of will causes himself to have a massive brain God, hemorrhage and it's die. so gross. He just, like, blood explodes from all of his face. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, just the way Brad McCarthy draws it, it's like a, uh, like, like a, t- like, uh, uh, squeezing a tomato in your in your hand really hard yeah you know, well, like well then they do a far shot and his whole head is smoking and looks like it's burnt to a crisp it's like jesus 
It's pretty awesome. So, okay, Fox, I think you were talking about this, but the color spread for page 560 oh, yeah. is amazing. It's this, fucking A big great. picture of an angry Judd and then another one of Dread blowing the top of a Judd's head off, which, which is pretty amazing. Which, again, I must imagine that with sensors, it's just like, well, it's not a real human. It's gen- genetically modified human, right? So it's I okay to also- show brain goo. <laughs> For sure, I think, but I think also by 88, there's less of a concern for that, maybe. Okay. Things are just getting hotter and stuff. It's like, we've definitely come a long way in terms of censorship. Um, I just don't sense dumping a fucking jug of gasoline on a fucking dude. Yeah. Setting him on fire. And I just wonder if by 88, like, the censors have moved from comic books to other sexier things, like, uh, oh, sure. like rap music, thing like that. You oh, know? God. <laughs> well, you know, there was that Dungeons and Dragons making all the people Satan. Oh, yeah. I don't know if, I honestly, I don't know if England had a, uh, had a satanic panic the way we, we, no. we did in England. I, well, I doubt or they. In America. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't know if they did. They had cool stuff. You never stuff. hear about it. No. Yeah. I'd be interested to know, you know, if anybody's listening and remembers, I'd be happy to know uh, how to hear it. But anyway, um, we flash back with Dread, with the Judda dead and the other one, Simeon, still in critical condition. There's only one lead left, and that's the Judda's teleporter. Well, the- we've been trying to test it. The last one blew up, and so I guess the only reasonable thing to do is to have Judge Dredd put it on and press the button. Yeah, I'm not taking it apart. I'm using it. Oh uh, he God. dons the teleporter belt, belt, is given a tracer, and warps to the Judda base. Pretty dope. Pretty dope move, to be honest. This is how a yeah. great video game or, I guess, like, Judge Dredd 2 2019, 2020, please make another Judge Dredd movie would start. Nah, maybe a TV show, but probably not. Yeah. But um, a- as soon as he teleports in, they've lost the signal. Oh, no. It's way deep underground, man. Yeah, at the at the Judd base, Dread appears and comes out firing. Name of Judd? No, name of Dread. Oh, pow, pow. gonna blow! I mean, they just explode. He just yeah, shoots he... them and just guts everywhere. Absolutely. Dread wanders the tunnels, passing huge sculptures of Judge heads and other stuff, and comes into a giant cave system. The Tracer can't penetrate the stone walls, and as he tries to find a way out, one of the dying Judda raises the alarm. Ah, uh, crap. Now we know that Judge Dredd is 100% here. Time to yeah. make everybody shoot the entire place. An alert An alert goes out, and Dredd is now in full Conrad plays Assassin's Creed mode, just running yeah, and gunning baby. everybody who comes along. You um, tried stealth, but some guy somewhere wasn't dead yet. <laughs> There comes a point, you know, um, he finds some cool clone tanks and just avoids getting blasted. He runs into a, a natural tunnel and keeps climbing out. Eventually, he can smell fresh air and find some bats, but it's too narrow to keep climbing. He's trapped. Dag, what is he going to do? Stuck in a tunnel, multicolored Judda on his tail. Dread grabs a flying bat and attaches his tracker to it as it bites him. <laughs> so great. The beast escapes and Dread throws out his lawgiver and surrenders. The Judda are confused by what they see as an evil doppelganger, and we hear Ooh. a bit of Judd's anti anti Mega City One propaganda as they take him to the court of Judd. Oof, not a great court to be in. Quite no, frankly, bad one. <laughs> in the Sydney Melbourne Conurb, though, they've picked up Dredd's signal over Ayers Rock, also known as Aluru Fox. You know, this is a giant sandstone formation, sacred to the local peoples of Australia and full of, like, water holes, rock caves, and ancient paintings. Oh, okay. 
it's a it's a giant thing. It's a it's a pre, it's a pretty sweet piece of like natural ge- uh, geography and one of the big like for me, like to my mind like the two big like hey we're in Australia here are some establishing shots of uh, of Australia are like Sydney Opera House Ayers Rock and then like like some kangaroos growing out basically like, <laughs> like those three things. <laughs> Understood. <laughs> the Oz judges mobilize their H wagons flying out to the site as Dred's carried past a sign dedicating this place as the Paul Hogan Caves. Wow. A.K. Crocodile Dundee, my friend. Um, forced to kneel in front of Judd's throne, Judd tries to impress, uh, you, you know, he c- kind of pulls the whole, like, uh, like I'm actually your dad, you should join me kind of, like, yeah, like Bill Gambit. But he's just, you know, I'm like, you're, anybody can shake a test tube, dog. Yeah, Dredd is not impressed. He claims <laughs> no heritage with, with, with Judd. Judd explains that he was a prophet forced to flee like so many before him and found sanctuary to make his dream a reality, even as his disciples first helped establish everything, but then had to be perfect. You know, as you do. Uh, um, a bunch of clones just easier to control, of course. I, I mean, yeah, I guess so. You just genetically modify them to believe you? Yeah, uh, basically. I don't seems, know. Um, seems a little bit terrifying. Judd says it's ironic that these caves once held the earliest humans, and we see some cave paintings here, and are now the start of a new human evolution. Ooh. Their first step, conquer Mega City 1. I don't think it's worth it, to be honest, bro. Uh, yeah, I mean, everybody keeps, in one way or another, they, There's there have been people trying to take that thing over, and I mean, it, it's not much of it left. And like, what are you get? What are you gonna get? A bunch of like a knee pad wearing like a uh, like like rioting citizens? That's no fun. Yeah, know? I know, man. <laughs> Think of all the work that that's gonna be. Seriously. Um, but anyway, the Oz judges have arrived and see the bat with a tracker. Struth judge, what have they done to you? <laughs> <laughs> Um, with no other leads, they do the automatic thing, which is, of course, let's just start shooting missiles at that at, at that UNESCO World Heritage Site and oh see what God. happens. <laughs> <laughs> this does manage to distract the Judda, though, from the execution of Dreads. The wall rumble and the walls rumble and shake. We're under attack. Oh my God! And we got to get this Jud guy out of here. Yeah. So, like I said, we finish up here with a pretty long Dread, seven or eight pages, depending on uh, on how you count the center spread. Mm. But. uh after some missiles are fired, the Judda come out of the uh, of the caves of Ayers Rock with hover gun with, with a hover guns, and so <sighs> the Oz judges engage. It's Rafferty's rules. Oh my God! Time to get to a scrap, baby. Rafferty's rules means there are no rules, and it was eventually an Australian TV drama. Anyway. <laughs> With the walls crumbling, uh, Judd moves up his timetables and orders a mass assault of the Grand Hall of Justice in Mega City 1. Oh my god, mass teleport incoming, bros. Yeah, the Oz are getting some hits in to take a nuke to get through those walls. Judd waits at a teleporter for word that the ops room of the, of the Grand Hall of Justice has been taken and says they stand on the brink of victory. But from the rubble... Dread comes forth and says, you stand on the brink of a fat lip, creep. <laughs> fucking giant rock in his hand. He boulders a Judda and punches out Judd. He then uses a teleporter to enter the ops room, warns that the pl- whole place will soon be under attack, and then runs down to the armory, telling them to get a nuke ready. Oh my god. What what could you even possibly have in store for that thing, dude? Ah, oh, good times. The Judda warp in, but the judges are ready for them and blow them all away. Woof. It's free fire as Dread runs for the armory, 
Finding it full of Judda, he, he throws in a concussion grenade, then runs to an, an armored room, snags the nuke, it's already primed with a 10 second delay, and presses the button! Oh my god. <laughs> come on, mother, man. Mother of grud, Judge, you'll blow us all the kingdom come! I mean, that sounds like what he's probably trying to do. <laughs> Next time on Judge Dredd, Blockbuster! Oh, jeez, buddy. Whew, what a good Judge Dredd, right? Yeah, and just in in case you're worried, Fox, um, Chopper will return next episode. Oh, I'm not. I mean, I'm getting my thrills in now before I get my thrills in next time. Not too worried. So here are the questions I got for you, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, hit me up. So the Judda, yeah, they're like two to three times the size of a judge. I think a lot of that is the armor they're wearing. Maybe. They seem like giants. I think he still he seemed to be about human size when they were questioning him and stuff yeah. like that. Like I think that they've just got big platform shoes as part of their their Judda armor. But I agree, they are real. They they do seem to be real big for sure. And then, uh, so is there just less genetic people since Judd left, or are they still doing you know more genetic soldiers similar to to Dread? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think there are. There is a lot of cloning going on. Inside the inside the, the Justice Department at this point, so they kind of cut it once uh, once Judd cut and run because it's well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it seems like th- anybody who was getting made was kind of him and his brother last we've we've heard. Yeah, I feel like they're the only cloned judges out there. Like everybody seems to know Dredd's a clone pretty much, and we did yeah. see there was that one story where Dredd teamed up with Mean Machine, and that was the Mega City. And that was Mega City One sending some genetic stock to Texas City. Yeah, that 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 had like some 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 Judge clones in there and stuff like that. Well, because the reason yeah. I brought it up was it's, he they said that he stole a shitload of it, right? And so my guess is that they just don't have yeah. a, a like it's not well, just lying around to get used. I mean, to an extent. I mean, I do th- I do also think that. I, at, at that point, the people that they're cloning are pretty much just the founding judges. So, like, Fargo was still there, of course. So they could have resampled him and a bunch yeah. of other of the, of the of the founding judges well, and stuff true. like that. That's true. But, I mean, from what we've seen, mostly judges do seem to be re- re- recruited from the, from, the, from the citizens of Mega City 1 and stuff. Hmm. Like, so maybe they have a thing about not doing a, a shitload of biological fucking around. Yeah, it seems like they're they're less inclined to do it, maybe just to avoid the temptation of another Judd being created or something mm. like that. Yeah. But okay. I mean, yeah, we'll we'll ha- like we definitely haven't. You know, I mean, I haven't read anything extra in like the annuals or specials that talk about more use of cloning within the Justice Department. Um, we'll see. We'll hear more about this and get into this sort of as the years go by for sure. <laughs> but it's not at this point. It's not very extensive from what I can. Tell. Okay. All right. You know, I mean, it is one of these funny things where, again, like cloning sort of an open thing they did here. And I think it's funny, like in the first Dread movie, it's like this big like plot twist that that, that Dread was cloned, you know. But speaking of exciting plot twists, Fox. Oh, man. Non-thrills, covers, and nerve yeah. center. <laughs> Yay. Some good, you know, the covers are getting cool. I mean, yeah, there's, there's one in particular sure. that piques the interest of your boy. Ooh, interested to hear it. It's 561 so- is real sexy. Oh yeah. So let's start with 559. Mm-hmm. A rare wordless cover as Brendan McCarthy draws a Judda about to grab Dread. Um and McCarthy's drawn Dread's belt buckle real wide here, yeah. FYI. It's like no <laughs> He's got a whole kit, wide. Like front yeah. of front of kit 
kind of look to it. <laughs> yeah. In the nerve center, Tharg introduces SMS and discusses other thrills as well. There's pictures of a robot Satanist and a lo- and an alien-like Judge Gross that's alien, like the movie Alien. Yeah, um, it's pretty cool. Yeah, letters include questions about Grud on a greenie, some anthrax sensitivity, um, and, and a compliments for Oz, as well as Zenith, Universal Soldier, mm. Bradley, and Freaks. Like, I don't know. Wow, what? Um, some of that was all right. The, the Like, three... Three-fifths of that, I don't understand. Some ups and downs. But most importantly here, there's the first letter from Stephen Watson, the patron saint of 2000 AD letters. Really? He's had more letters published than anybody else. Wow. And he maintains a huge online spreadsheet documenting all of the letters <laughs> ever, which is ridiculous. Wow, it's, a, it's, it's a crazy thing. I'll try to link to it in the show notes and stuff I would, like that. Uh, yeah, do send it to me. That's awesome. Yeah, it's got a way to like, like, like break things down and like, you know, by name and things like that. Um, it, it, it's crazy. Um, but he writes a letter about this family that's been showing up, especially in a John Higgins stories that are basically just watching TV when big Mega City One events take place. <laughs> okay. Like we saw him l- l- like, like during the, the the revolution story and stuff like that, for instance, and actually letter to a Democrat as well. Um, but they're called the Grobble Do- the Grobble Donk family. So whatever. Right. And then. The Prague ends with a poster by Liam Sharp of Dread and Chopper. And like I said, of course, Chopper, Chopper will return next episode. Thing of beauty. Prague 560, Stone Killer. Some oh, strants get rocked as a, as a ghostly Johnny looks on. And this is Scarra cover. Poor Chowdhury. He's like the one strontium dog that I never knew could have existed. That I'm sad is is gone. No spoilers. And also, yeah, and also just like you know, you got to be real assholes to call him Chowder. Yeah, not cool. In the Uh, nerve center, Tharg announces the new strontium dog. There are pictures of LL LL Cruel J and Judge Invisible. Yeah, I like that one a lot too. That was good. Letters include some high compliments for Tharg, a student that did a school report on the future Tor- Torquemada and got in trouble, a question about what reality 2000 AD takes place in, and a letter of straight-up gibberish, so good times. Mm. Mid-Prog, there's a gig guide, uh, which is for performances of the Halo Jones stage play, now touring the UK. Huh. Which seems pretty interesting. There's, there's going to be pictures of it, I believe, in this year's sci-fi special. If anyone saw it, was it any good? Oh yeah, I'd be in- yeah, I'd love to hear if what anybody thought about was what was go- was going on with that for sure. Yeah, and then the prog ends with a tarot cardy thing by Liam Sharp depicting Nemesis and, and, and purity. Pretty and cool. Like, I'm not super happy with it, honestly. I like, mean, like it's so, uh, it doesn't say what it is, which doesn't really yeah. help you. Mostly, it's just that like this lady doesn't really seem seem like seem purity, like purity. Brown to me. No. I guess we we've seen a bunch of different versions of her through different artists and stuff. This one feels like the least like her. And then also, Nemesis has a way more sort of dog look, like a like yeah. hound look in his face. I think it's just like the, the weird an- it's the weird angle and length kind of thing, yeah. right? You don't really get to see the spread of the snout. Yeah, he lacks some of the like d- demonic Doberman looks that we've seen uh, mm. uh, elsewhere. So Prague five six one. 561, be pure, be vigilant, be my Valentine. (laughs) I I mean, this doesn't happen as far. I mean, I mean, sure, it probably does actually happen just off screen within the comics. But I'm like, what is a nude beardy doing in this man's bed? Hey, I mean, you know, she wasn't just she wasn't just hanging out there, you know? Yeah, no, he asked her to play the part, I'm sure. Yeah, purity in a very red Gary Leach cover for this issue dated up February 13th. 
or yeah, yeah, February, yeah, but whatever. Mm. Day, day before Valentine, that's what I'm trying to say. In the Nerve Center, Tharg breaks kayfabe saying that this Nerve Center was written before Christmas 1987 and that the Burt editorial droid is getting his mark of Tharg servicing. Yeah. There's pictures of a uh, Judge Marlowe and a before and after of a warped slain. Pretty cool. Yeah. It's kind of a of a blunt nose slain, I guess. Yeah, he's looking um, kind of turtly. Yeah. Letters ask for Flesh Book 3, and Thark says yes. maybe in 1989. What? Come on, it man. It actually won't be until 1992. Whoa. All right. Well, okay. At least it's coming. Yeah. And a state agent is taking breaks to read 2000 AD, and now all of his staff is too. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. There's a question if Mac is related to a pre-surgery Kano, and there's some anti-Thar graffiti that's been discovered elsewhere. Mid-prog, there's an ad for 2080 Monthly, and I don't mention these a lot, Fox, but this time there's this great Cam Kennedy cover from Prog 155, and I just really think it's great. Just of the, uh, of the VCs fighting the... Uh, oh, yeah, vape. Yeah, yeah, vaping those ba- those baddies. Oh, man, I forgot what the, what the bad guys and VCs were called. Uh, like wait. Uh, ooh, I feel real bad about this. Yeah, real, you know, bad times. Squigglies. Something like that. Yeah, it was of some kind. Oh, man. I got to reread that. Okay. <laughs> Interestingly, because of the new logo of the, on the monthly, there's been some changes here, just moving bad guys around, make way for the logo and like that. Mm. And then this prog ends with a pinup of Durham Red by Ascara. Oh, uh, yeah, Looking good baby. in her usual Looking outfit. So Big old good. gun. <laughs> okay, so prog 562. Dread stands in front of a smoking skull over a Judge Eagle. No picnic at Ayers Rock. Oz too hot for Dread? <laughs> eh, maybe. Probably not. And this is a reference to the movie uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock. Don't. Which was, nope. Nah, whatever. It's a popular movie, but that drew attention to the emerging Australian new wave of cinema in like the uh, early 80s. Oh, cool. In the Nerve Center, Thar congratulates readers on identifying all the songs that appeared in Zenith Next Time lines. There's pictures of a Bradley Nemesis matchup and yeah. Chalky Mata, some special chalk for oh, that's, that's Marky cute. Walls and stuff. Um, letters also inc- include questions about why Thar doesn't answer some letters that are printed in the progs, why 2000 AD costs negative two groats on Neptune, <laughs> and a misprint I sadly missed last episode where Simon Bisley was credited as Steve Bisley. Ah, ooh. Yeah, and then just some general world-building questions about what judges spend money on and who they can marry. The answer is nothing and no one. Yeah, come on, man. They get everything they need. Five minutes of sleep or whatever a day. It's good. Exactly. Sometimes apartments for community policing. Yeah, you know. Um, And like a italian housekeeper or something i don't know i mean uh, that seemed like you know if you want to if you want to get on the on the good side of the government you might as well throw in your services for free that could have also so. just been maria's hobby it's true yeah maria's comp is surprisingly complicated as we'll learn in like yeah. 30 years of oh okay <laughs> um so mid prog there's a full page ad for the movie a night on the town i have never here- seen or heard of this well in the states it was called adventures in babysitting if, if, mm-hmm. if you if you've seen that one nope it's got, it's got elizabeth shoe it's pretty good okay um, this poster is a uh, different than the u.s version actually because it shows elizabeth uh, 
Elizabeth Shue with like one of the guys from the movie, like both of them, like, you know, hugging on each other as they climb up the side of a building, as opposed to the U.S. version, which shows um, like this, uh, this uh, little girl that loves Thor hanging off her back as she climbs up the side of the thing. It's kind of an yeah. interesting difference, maybe on different kinds of marketing in different re- regions or something like that. Sure. The prog ends with a Zenith pinup, um, which also has some vital stats and questions. It's pretty cool. It's- yeah, it's 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 it, it, it's like the back page of like a music magazine where they just do like some qu- a quick rundown of different people. Though we do learn Zenith's real name, Robert Neil Cassidy McDowell. Hmm. He was born January eighth, nineteen sixty eight, the same day as Elvis. It's good times. I liked their uh, "What have you got in your pockets?" Very classic question from a uh, like a yeah. uh, news a, like, magazine. fluffy um, av- um, interview. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've also been informed that a Zenith probably sounds like a mix of Morrissey and Nick Kamen, just just FYI. Okay. In terms of if you're putting that together in your head. And speaking of a hot young pop stars, Fox. Oh, hoo-hoo. Thrill 4, Nemesis the Warlock. Man, this is... It's good, but it's fucked up, man. Real fucked up. Hot young up. pop star is Torquemada. Yeah. <laughs> Torque sings the hits. Oh my god! Oh, that's right. Like he like that was like he, he. I'm pretty sure he had at least a couple albums in that uh, convention thing we saw a couple a couple. Uh, so he does, but then in ago. this he talks about how much music is horrible and bad. Well, you know, I think that as the years passed, he like changed, decided to use it for mar- as a marketing tool instead. You know? uh, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, scripter by Pat Mills, art by David Roach, letter by Steve Potter. So, a young Purity Brown in a flashback writes in her diary and is 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 in prison because she hates Torquemada, but they're keeping her alive for breeding stock, I guess, which is yeah, pretty gross. That's uh, horrible. She wanders around this weird juvie hall she's in surrounded by female guards with helmets marked with omegas, which and- there's some to be said there, I guess. I mean, honestly, for that, I mean, if it, it, it because it's the end of the line or something, although mm. I just can't stop seeing it and not being reminded of uh, the Warhammer 40,000 Space Marine faction, the Ultramarines, oh, yeah. whose, whose symbol is an upside down Omega. So I keep saying that and it's being like, ooh, there's connections. Ooh. <laughs> well, and they, didn't they make uh, the, she, the she Space Marines? Or was, I mean, it, or was that the Imperial Guard had the I mean, uh, Witch Hunters? Or whatever. I mean, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, uh, 40k has has an all female faction called the Sisters of Battle, which are basically nuns with guns. Mm-hmm. Um, like literally, they aren't uh, like they aren't female space marines because they are like sort of lack their like their uh, they aren't like genetically engineered or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But they are a bunch of like uh, badass ladies with su- with su- severe haircuts and a lot of Florida de Lee uh, imagery. Yeah, good yeah. times. Um, but so Puri bumps into like this uh, sad guy on crutches, another one who thinks he's Hitler, uh, possibly lobotomized lady with a potato head sign on her back. <sighs> I mean, yeah, they heavily sedated the shit out of that woman. It's all just real grim, buddy. Mm. Um, Purity decides to escape. She jumps the fence and makes her way through the tubes and underworld of termite until the uh, one of the guards spots her and she does some cool traffic kicking moves. Fuck yeah, dude! She kills one guard, but a few more arrive on the scene and take her away. She's too young to be executed, and be it'd be embarrassing to admit that a seventeen-year-old girl killed one of the Terminators. <laughs> 
So um, instead, they just start tossing her into a deeper prison. She sleeps in her new cell and finishes her diary entry with Krug Off World as the shadow of Nemesis appears over her. Seeing a potential ally, I guess. God, I don't even know after reading this whole thing. It's true, yeah. Purity's working on a chain gang, one of the women against Torquemada, where she's drilling ground and beating up Terminators that try to hassle her. Um, it's interesting, I think, we, we really see it here, just how Roach is drawing these Terminators as kind of like a tactical, as they call it. Like yeah. Like, very, like, like, kind of streamlined, wearing, like, armored bodysuits and stuff. It's a big difference from O'Neill's, like, huge, bulky Terminators with, like, giant, uh, like, geometric armor and stuff like right, that. Right, with insane, like, writing on it, you know? Yeah, exactly. I thrill for the kill and shit like that. <laughs> yeah. After this fight, she runs again, unlocking her chains and trying to escape through the tunnels of Termite. And it seems like these tunnels, either because of stuff Purity's doing from trafficking and stuff, or just because of the tunnels themselves, gravity's real wonky in here. Yeah. Like, like, like you, you kind of jump to, from the floor to the ceiling and stuff like that. I don't know. But she seems like she's handling it well. You know, she's she definitely able to do a lot of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Although she does eventually get get tagged by a uh, by a trank bullet and mm. uh, taken down. Back in custody, Purity talks to another another one of these women and wonders when when Nemesis will come and take care of all these jerks. But the others just drop some like uh, "we must believe and endure" type stuff. Oh, everything will be fine. Don't give up. And she's just like, "Fuck this world, man." I want action, you know. Yeah. That night, Purity asks Nemesis to come to her so she can fight Torquemada because she's not scared of him, and he's there. And she gets real spooked because he's kind of gross. Yeah, this is a a much smaller kind of floaty Nemesis. Yeah, weird. Like, yeah, it's a big change from the uh, from the buff, twisty version that uh, Hinklinton ju- ju- just did in, in the previous story, for instance. I mean, it could just be, you know, what's under the robe. Yeah. They work out a plan as Purity sits in her Ripley underwear. Uh, Torquemada yeah. will fall in love with her, and she'll use that to feed information to the Resistance. Purity's, uh, Purity says it seems like a big old joke, and Nemesis agrees, because he's kind of an alien jerk. Yeah, it really seems like, uh, he. I mean... Yeah, just calls humans no. a joke, and then it's kind of like, well, why are you even asking her to do this then if you don't really give a fuck? It's like, oh, yeah, I just want you to do this because I totally want to fuck this guy, but I mean, I don't care. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I mean, we, we've been seeing this previously, just how this story has kind of shifted to being more mm. about Torquemada and stuff. Like, just from what we said, it really feels like Pat Mills is getting, is bored with, with Nemesis and yeah. more intrigued by Torquemada, you know? Yeah, <laughs> which isn't a good look, depending on how you want to slice that. I mean, I think, he, you know, he still depicts Torquemada as a huge villain. Like, he's not saying, like, oh, actually, Torquemada's got some good ideas. Like, he's quick to, you know, he still thinks he's real bad. He's just a more nice. interesting. Yeah, exactly. Then Nemesis, who just, like, is kind of a one-note, like, uh, capricious trickster. You know, it's not yeah. as fun. Um, so this plan does seem to work as soon Torquemada passes Purity working on the chain gang and has her released to his cousin. Oh, I, I want to say also, j- just to, before we move on from that, th- mm. this like this part does feel very uh, kind of V for Vendetta to me. Yeah. Where if you remember, yeah, yeah like exactly. the section where she like is in prison and stuff, and then it turns out that um, it's actually V doing it the whole time, and then she kind of like oh, even side Even stuff. then, I mean, just tossing her to... Well, I guess, yeah. each, you know, to the guy and, you know, he was a weird pedophile. And uh, anyway. Yeah. 
that whole thing. No, just a lot of tones of that here is what I'm trying to mm. say. Um, but so uh, Torquemada takes Purity out of the chain gang and has a release to his custody for uh, intensive interrogation. Oh, yeah. He lavishes Purity with gifts, including a party oh. dress made of some kind of furry tentacle beast. It really looks fucking gross. Seriously. And they go to the hottest lube tubes in Termite, including one called Smarts, especially. I got lube tube. I don't know. While there, Torquemada brags about executing terrorists, and Purity plans to give this info to Nemesis. Oh, yeah. Then he then he shows her his collection of alien heads. Well, hey, you know, why not, right? Like, when you finally find somebody who is willing to put up with your weird, horrible shit, <laughs> might as well it's show true. them all the weird, horrible shit you do. Yeah. I think there's a real opportunity missed here to kind of do a full rule of threes joke. So I'm going to do it right here. Um, okay. Purity tries to find something good about Torquemada, like maybe he likes dogs, like Hitler, or he likes music, like uh, the Emperor Nero, or maybe he likes books, like the 30th century warlord Quagor the Terrible, but it's a no to all counts. (laughs) It's a sci-fi rule of three, you know. That would would have been pretty good. I feel like I would have laughed. He's all the greatest musicians, uh, Mozart, Bach. Vanilla Ice, etc. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway. Oh my God, no. <laughs> he really is the most evil man ever. Later, we see Nemesis um, acting on Purity's info with Purity along. They attack a troop train and free the prisoners aboard. Credo be praised. Oh my God. And then I guess there is Purity shooting some people. Yeah. Back in the present, Purity's shocked she used to date Torquemada. But there's something else to this story, something Nemesis wants to hide that's even worse than Torquemada himself. Which I really feel like, what kind of weird, gross fucking shit, you know? Yeah. A loathsome beast lurches from the lava fumes of termite towards the sound of human voices at the smart lube tube. Ah, uh, yeah. It is a bringer of death here to inspire fear in humanity. Inside, the Smarties are discussing Nemesis. They plan to be trendy and summon him for fun, despite what Torquemada says. Uh huh. But suddenly, I love, I love how much this is like a fucking um. Oh, what is that? The marijuana fear, uh, uh, reefer, yeah, yeah. reefer madness. It's reefer when, madness, especially when yeah. you call them Smarties. You're like, all right. <laughs> Or Satanic Panic, for that matter. Like, mm-hmm. oh, yes, we'll summon the demons. Or maybe, like, just like Aleister Crowley, too. Yeah. You know, so idle, rich, dabbling in demons kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but suddenly a monster appears. He says he is Nemesis, the shape of things to come. And he's here to filth you all. Filth and putrefy. It's just vomits bugs all over them. Massive spray of grossness and kills them all with his gross sword. The Terminator secret police arrive and try to gun him down, but it does no good. The warlock defeats them and shouts, beware, be sickened, be damned. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Very interesting that all these catchphrases seem to have a certain theme, if you ask me. Yep. Um, they're all the opposite because they're all the opposite of Torquemada's. Yep. The, a, a tide, the, the tide turns in favor of Torquemada. His merchandise is flying off the shelves and people are denouncing each other as deviants at record highs. And man, let's uh, let's just have a big rally at the end of this thing that really, really looks like someone else's rally that they had once. 
indeed. Torque calls for a great crusade to destroy all aliens. And we see signs like uh, war makes work for all. And I stalk for Torque on, <laughs> on them. My favorite thing is what he's wearing, which is really just like a sex harness and a fucking like bat wing cape that connects to his hands. Oh, his yeah. wrists. I love that. I mean, it really just looks fantastic. Show off the he's bod got- while also rocking, you know. Now, you know, talk about a nose what he's got. He's got to show off that bod until he becomes a big worm cloud, you know? Yeah, gotta, or a giant it's... worm that then people even... just start stabbing to death. <laughs> <laughs> Even then, he was pretty like the uh, the human part of Turkomata on the top of that worm was still pretty buff. You know, you, yeah, you, that's you true. Give him that. God, he really has gone through a bunch of puberty, hasn't he? I mean, you know, it's feast or famine when it comes to the Torkabata <laughs> to Torkabata. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. Back at their apartment, Purity in sexy Torquemada boy shorts says that the monster isn't Nemesis. And after some brief questioning, Torquemada admits it isn't true. He found a chameleon alien that can mimic the warlock. He calls it the uh, Mimesis? Mimesis? Well, whatever. I I tried to figure out how to pronounce this thing, Fox, and everything I found gave a different pronunciation. I mean, the Tharg note says pronounced as mime, but I mean, I didn't, I mean, it looks like... So you know. yeah, but does that mean does that mean mimesis? Yeah, mimesis. Yeah, well, I, I don't mean, know. to me that means mimesis, and I'm like, that's not. I feel like that's not what it is. Because I want it to sound more like Nemesis as a great creator yeah. of portmanteaus and mimesis. Stuff, you know? Yeah, let's go with that one. I think if you can, if you can help me out with that one. Um, I mean, Torquemada says um, it means a form of disease that imitates its. That imitates another, which is true, but it can also mean when a different work seems to to mimic another one in literary criticism, like uh, a a big mimesis or a, a mimesis <laughs> is that um, all these ancient stories that have like floods in them and stuff like that. Oh yeah, um, is is a thing. Um, or it could be a word that evokes an idea of a sound, like boing or boom. Ooh. Uh, anyway, Torquemada is a pet alien killing his own guys for PR purposes. I mean, That's yeah, you know, he's not above that. He is, <laughs> yeah. he is naturally evil. Yeah. Purity thinks this must be stopped to help Nemesis, overlooking the fact that Torquemada seems to be telling her about this in a, in a fairly threatening manner, Fox. Yeah. Who knows where it could strike next? Who it could kill? Yeah, exactly. And he's got kind of that sideways eye at her. Yeah. Next time, Night of the Mimesis. Mmm. Weird one. Real weird, making me not like Nemesis very much, but that's been kind of just coming this whole time. Yeah, I mean, this one is de- like this story is definitely like a uh uh man, we're t- it's like how I always say that like the big move in a, in like the 80s was realizing that like superhero heroes are kind of bullshit. Like yeah. this is when we were really kind of getting into like uh Nemesis is kind of bullshit as well. Yeah, know? I mean, he just doesn't seem like that good of a dude anymore, man. I mean, it's just interesting- this awesome like 80s warlock comic. Now it's just like he's a broody baby child. Man yeah, child. I mean, it, it does feel like I maybe Pat Mills has turned a bit on the concept of chaos. I don't think he has, but he is sort of making both of the chaos sure. priests in his stories be kind of objectionable characters, be a deadlock or a nemesis here, you know? I think this is his new way of working in, like, you know, chaos as a balancing force versus the whole pluke, mm. pluke, not pluke thing, you know? Yeah, I do like it better than that sort of move towards neutrality, towards doing nothing that was in uh, in Slain. Yeah, that one was a weird in- one. 
Yeah, I also think it's really interesting that, like, this purity story is clearly an attempt to tell a story about a female character that's sort of, like, fierce and independent. But David Roach just draws her as, like, scantily clad and sexy whenever possible. Yeah, you know? just like, I've seen aliens. Let's make Ridley just a bit younger, you know, and yeah. a bit more taut. It's like, well, and only, you know. And only the parts of, only like the first first and last five minutes of Alien, which he's in her underwear. Yeah. You know, none of the I middle mean, part, where she spends most of the movie in coveralls and stuff. Right. Sigourney know? Weaver wears clothes in that film, you know? It's okay yeah. for Purity Brown to also wear clothes. Eh, I guess not. I guess, you know, she's got to be scantily clad, but she's just hanging around as a Torquemada's like fuck buddy or something I, like yeah, that. Yeah, I guess so, man. Nah. Yeah, but no, that's how um, I felt about it. I felt walking out of that, I felt greasy. Yeah, speaking of sexy empowered ladies, though. Oh, uh, hell yeah. Thrill five, strontium dog. Oh, man. Feels so so bad for Clambo. Also, a better mm. name for that clam guy. <laughs> Scripture about Alan Grant and John Wagner's Alan Grant. Art about Carlos Escarra. Learning about John Aldrich is the Aldrich Three. I will say, so, they these yeah. guys, for being rock like, because we already knew that's what they are. Uh, real smart with, I mean, with the, with the setup here. Yeah. Good ambushing. See, you, you don't need a college degree for good tactics. You son of wow. a bitch. <laughs> this is a callback. <laughs> They're not going to know what we're talking about. And by no. the way, I still think, I mean, I stand by my guns on this. I'm sorry. Fox, Fox and I had a very angry discussion about <laughs> education requirements of supervillains before this episode. I can't get Listen, into it. Listen, I, it's. No, just... no, 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 no. We're not going to, not going to do this. <laughs> A couple strons are closing in on Mork Phillips, who's hanging out, who's hanging from a hook inside a barn. The, do- <laughs> the dogs come in shooting. There's a trunk, kind of tapier looking so dude. So matter of fact, right now, a dude with an, with an ear on his forehead and a clam head dude, <laughs> which is the them. best dude. It's pretty good. Like I wonder, like uh, I want to know about this guy's physiology. Like, does he have to open the clam to be able to see or something? No, What's going I on think with that? I think when he opens, he opens his mouth because you know how whenever you have a clam talk it's always doing like the weird vibrating tongue thing mm-hmm. like that's that's what happens he has to open it up and then the tongue wiggles around inside and oh, just kind of like amazing says, like, right and says and it's all kind of gross and sloppy but it still talks yeah so they see phillips is dead when a mysterious figure appears later we cut to their funerals at strontium dog headquarters the dog oh house. my god and really just like the worst eulogy ever yeah, given after- by any person after a pretty insulting eulogy, the bodies are committed to the depths of space. I, I mean, the eulogy was effectively like, I don't know why they fucking sent these to us. They could have just buried them on the planet. They did work for the agency, so I pose, I suppose we could just shoot them out of here. But, I mean, they were all shit and garbage at their job. It's I like, hate strontium wow. dogs and mutants, despite being the head of the mutants yeah. of the strontium dogs. I mean, it's really the bold, underlined, italicized way to say that. I hate all of you, and I could give a fuck less. If you're going to die, make sure that you don't come, like, get your body yeah, sent no, back do here. do not come back. Yeah. <laughs> So afterwards, the doghouse box calls our buddy Johnny Alpha to his office. He wants Johnny to investigate these murders, mostly because the uh, the clam guy, Clam Chowdray, which <laughs> has political connections in Bangladeshi. Yeah. So it seems that these killers have killed another strong recently, uh, Wasp Jones, I believe, and they're calling themselves the Stones. Which all right, it's a, yeah, it's a bunch of a uh, man rock of a rock man aliens, Fox and um, Brock Lady. They, 
Yeah, and well, I mean, listen, I'm using man in sort of the pejorative sense here, but yeah, rock, <laughs> rock human beings. They remind me a lot of the Agranok race from the MMO game, uh, a Wild Star. I don't, I don't know if, if yeah, if, man, if you ever played I, that one. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I of course played uh, the charming and wildish um, uh, tailed cat people. Yeah, you leveled up. Way to go! Anyway, yeah, was, uh, they had a good leveling up thing. Yeah, I agree yeah. with that. Bullets won't work on them, but they can kill you with their bare hands. There's even I a mean, lady one. <laughs> I mean, they and but they just and they talk about how easy it is for them to do it and how squishy everything is. I mean, they do. They're just violent. Yeah, no, they're just like they're just invulnerable murder beings doing some invulnerable murdering. Yeah, uh, and apparently, like these, you know, granite people are usually pretty docile and nice. Yeah, they, they're usually friendly, but these ones we see, they kill the Strons and take their badges and then walk away. Yeah, so someone clearly su- wants Strontium Dogs dead. Absolutely. The boss suggests checking out the granite planet. The race of, of these rock guys is called the Granulians, and he wants Johnny to take a partner. And buddy, the silhouette that shows up when he says that can only mean Durham Red. And then he's just like, oh no, and I'm like, man, you guys macked last time. Then I remember she tried to take half his money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Johnny prefers to wor- work alone, but George, head of the doghouse, basically threatens to revoke his license if he doesn't go along with it. So Johnny relents. Yeah, like you said, Red wants to know why he's so mad about this. And he's like, hey, you tried to, like, uh, poison and double-cross me last time. So, you know, she's kind of angry about that Reagan job. I, I love know? how she just kind of nonchalant. She's like, oh, well, you know, it was just a force of habit. I'm not used to working alone. Or I'm just used to working alone. I totally will be better this time. Or with assholes, you know. And yeah, she's not basically. Johnny being a good guy. They head out to the shuttle to the granite planet. They discuss the rock's motives that the stones might be just hired muscle, seemingly just with an anti-strontium dog grudge. Johnny wonders why she's on the case, because you can't get blood from a stone. And she Ooh. agrees. <laughs> Does some threatening. I like my blood. Fresh from the neck. Oh, and yeah, he is not into that. He's like, ah, no. get out of here. Yeah. Later at the Granite Planet, their shuttle's routed by air traffic control to a certain area when a bunch of rock dudes with missiles target them and open fire. And it seems to be like maybe this was an accident. Yeah, the guy, the dogs take a direct hit. Their shuttle's going down. As, yeah, like I said, as they go down, the rock army guys realize they're a mistake. Like, oh my gosh, like, you know, someone else was flying over the target range. We shot them instead. Stone me. Yeah. All right, guys. Johnny wrestles with the controls, and they land hard on the rocky uh, landscape with a scree crunch. <laughs> nice. Luckily, both the bounty hunters manage to escape alive and unharmed enough to outrun the inevitable explosion from the downed craft. Red tries for a witty remark when Johnny is attacked by some kind of rocky tentacle monster. Yeah, really not comfortable with that, man. Before Hente can break out, um, Red shoots Johnny free. <laughs> but is about to be caught in her own hentai situation when oh, Johnny God. blasts another one of these monsters. Always pack explosives if you're going to be on a weird hentai planet, I guess. Definitely. They make their way through the environment when the army dudes come rolling up in a jeep. By God, squashies! Oh, so great. Next time, a stone's throw. Man, what and- a good little romp. Yeah, good time. And just, you know, all of these uh, next time things all had had stone puns in them. Mm. Uh, Stone Me and Stone Dead were the other two that we've seen so far. Man, you know, I, I didn't think that I was going to be all that excited for Stone People. And here I am once again reading Strontium Dog saying like, man, so great you're back. 
fucking love Strontium yeah. Dog. I really like the way Iscara draws these stone guys that just they, they they do seem to be like like made of rock and very tough and things like that, which is really great. I always love some variations in Strontium Dogs as well. Um, you know, just the the team that that, that that got killed early and stuff like that, where fun as well. And it's always awesome when, when Durham Red comes. Well, and it's just you know, it's not it's not this fucking sour garbage. I mean, most of what we're reading is awesome. Do not get me mm-hmm. wrong, but you know it's got it's playing with itself a bit between the action. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, I mean I think if there's one thing I feel like we we've really come to associate with Ascara's work and just how like the um, Grant Wagner end up writing for him is that 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 it lets things feel kind of like like light or something. Like yeah, there's sort of a fun element to it. Even when it's grim, there can still be moments of of levity and fun. It's a proper action movie, not like a now times action movie. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of a fun and young love fox. Oh, God. Thrill six. Haphazard. Uh, great. Script and art robot Steve Dillon, lettering robot Tom Frame. This is the first in an occasional series, Fox. Haphazard will be usually written and drawn by Steve Dillon and is generally just some sitcom stuff that we'll see a few pieces of over the next year or so. I think okay. they, they're kind of fun, honestly. It's Well, it, it was fine. It was just, it was to me, it felt a little bit too fillery. I didn't know that it's, it was going to be a recurring thing. I thought these yeah, were some I throwaway mean, folks, which helps a little bit. It's very much a uh, a sci-fi uh, uh, sitcom, for sure. Mm. So we meet Haphazard and his buddy Tricky walking the streets of their planet trying to get money. He's trying to get money to take his girl out on the town when they're stopped by a pair of ladies. Mm. Uh, these, th- these chicks are traveling the sector on summer break. But they land on this planet by a mistake. And uh, their guy doesn't say anything about it. Because <laughs> he's yeah. so out of the way. Being a smart cookie, Hap offers, offers to show them around for 50 credits. While playing tour guide, we learn that this planet was discovered by a space pirate named Frederick Stardance, and that's why it's called Fred's Planet. And <laughs> and also, uh, you know, why everyone's just kind of a really horrible person here. It's just a full-on backwater planet, you yep. know. Um, they head out to the Kango Club in a hover taxi, and the ride's pretty rough because the driver forgot his wife's birthday, and she's shooting at him. Yep. The club's pretty fancy, owned by the Kango Twins. Uh, Hap introduces them, in- introduces the girls, and we meet the twins, Ron and Luigi, which is kind of a big hammerhead type guy who's like his wide old forehead has four eyes on it. And it's sort of it's two guys real weird. With, with, with one body. Yeah. The twins fight over showing the ladies some fun and it comes to self-inflicted blows. Ugh. Hap is about to take them to another site when they decide to just go back to the spaceport and give him his money. Yep. But- We're out of here. As Hap celebrates his 50 cred windfall, the twins show up and take the money and say he'd better have the same next week to pay for all the damages from the fight. Which... Then, you know, he's a gangster guy. He's not fair about this stuff. Um, And then his girl uh, Sharon shows up and throws a can at him because he's been hanging out with some off-world cuties. Oh, no. Well, it was all just to get money for our date. She's not hearing it. Oh, it's all a laugh, though, as Tricky offers to buy Hap dinner, just so long as it's not Vendrellian, because he can't eat anything that once had the ability to write. Ugh. Good clean hijinks from Haphazard. Yeah, it was adorable. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. So, let's close thing out in, things out in our traditional uh, fashion, Fox, with Thrill 7, Future Jocks. God, they just couldn't help themselves. 
They Got couldn't em. help themselves but, like, stick in, what is it, like, three pages? They couldn't have extended anything yeah. else? Nah, well, I mean, we, we, we do have a lot of extended thrills in this episode. I mean, yeah. like, we, we are sort of bouncing between um, having, like, four to, like, 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 five to six thrills, including a future shock, and um, having just, just four thrills in sure. one prog in this era. So, first one is No Exit, script about John Smith, art about Simon Harris, and letting go about John Harris, John Aldrich, I should say. I just feel like the premise for this is just like, how could it ever get this way? Yeah, John Smith, you know, this one's a, a thin one, but a, a writer John Smith is back in the prog after being out since 490 when he started, when he kind of started, started in, in to go prime. And mm. this feels like very much a, a tune-up story for Tyranny Rex, which we'll get to next episode. Okay. Just kind of getting him back in writing. This is a three-pager. That's okay. Um, a scientist type has a lock on his door that needs money to open and close, but he doesn't have any money on him. Mm-hmm. And so he's locked in his room. Um, in the end, the door is locked tight. Door, uh, weeks pass, and the scientist has built some kind of super gun that he uses to blow open the door, and he's free. He <laughs> makes his way to the elevator, but that needs money, too. Oh, my God. Uh, how am I going to get out of here? Yeah. This uh, song's got a lot of similarities to that song uh, MTA, where a guy couldn't pay the exit fare on a bus on a Boston subway, so he's trapped there forever. Um, anyway, final final story: Killer Rhythms. Script robot Dick Foreman, and art robot Mass Mobility, letting robot John Aldrich. I believe this is Foreman's only word in the prog, unless it's a pseudonym. It's hard to tell. Hmm. But uh, we're at the coolest dance club, the Ice Factory. The DJ puts on a long record and goes to the bathroom where he's ambushed by an alien warrior. Alien zaps him and gives him a record to play. He plays and everyone on, and uh, about half the people in this club start going crazy, killing each other. It's a ballroom blitz! Ballroom blitz! It spreads onto the street and the alien radios in. The deadly music only affects about 50% of the population. Don't worry, says the alien king. Soon all Earthings will succumb once we release the 12-inch remake. Okay. Record jokes that don't make sense to modern readers. <laughs> Beautiful, I guess. My God, it's over. Hey, hey, hey. All right. And with that, Fox... There's one thing I must know. You must oh, tell me. I, I have, Oh, are we going back to our earlier debate? PhDs? No, yeah. and, in, in, indeed, my question is is whether Craven the Hunter has earned a practical PhD based on his life experience. <laughs> but also, whether you have... What are your top and bottom thrills for January and February 1988? To your first question, of course, clearly he has, and to your... Move on! <laughs> Let's go! Come on! <laughs> Uh, man, oh man, uh, this one's a little bit rough because uh, there's so much like possibility for top. But, you know, if I had to pick one, and I do, I am going to throw this all the way to Judge Dredd. I really enjoyed Ooh. it, um, like specifically the, for this month, um, in that there is this really great amount of world building that you get, right? We finally get some history into not just who these Judd are, but into kind of a throwback for the entirety of... of um, Mega City One, mm-hmm. but it's just kind of this nonstop amount of like ridiculousness that I like out of a like a longer dread story. I mean, a man concentrates yeah. so hard he explodes his own head, right? Definitely. Like that. That to me is really fantastic. We also, you know, you get an opening cover where where Dredd just shoots a man's brains out, and he just like 
fucking goes John McClane with a fucking teleport belt to like just start shooting shit, snaps a thing onto a bat. I mean, the whole thing from front to back was great. I'm excited to see where it's going. I know we're getting back to to Chopper for Oz, but when it ends on a cliffhanger of I I have a 10 second fuse on this nuclear bomb, uh, you know, I'm pretty bought in. I'm cliff hung, you know? Yeah, it's a bold, it's a bold cliffhanger for sure. Um, <laughs> I really, I enjoyed it a lot. Like, it's just, it's, it's the the right amount of ridiculous for me for a, uh, a Judge Dredd storyline. Um, with special mention, of course, to everything else. And in terms of bottom, my man, I have a hard time not just saying Future Shocks plus Haphazard, <laughs> right? Like, and lumping those yeah. together. I won't do that, given that I didn't actually understand the, the purpose of Haphazard. Nah. So, you know, I'm, I, I, like, and this is, this is where it's hard. We're talking about, like, everything's going on in its prime with ABC Warriors being real good. I loved this, like, I'm clawing back through, you know, just sheer jealousy of of Hammerstein, which I really like that transformation of his character. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, when we're talking about Strontium Dog coming back or Zenith just, like, really getting me me going. But, you know, I'm going to put my bottom uh, to Nemesis, man. It made me feel a little oogie. I'm not super stoked about, like, who Nemesis is at this point. I know it's character building for purity, but it's not, like, my super favorite at the moment. I really enjoy reading it. I really enjoy reading everything Nemesis, and that isn't to take away from its kind of mm-hmm. awesomeness factor. Just wasn't uh, wasn't necessarily, you know... It's not my thing. It's feeling it's feeling a little weird, and I don't know where it's going next time because it's uh, like it's got this whole rapey vibe to it that that's got me going <laughs> uncomfortable. If that makes sense. Sure. But those were a lot of words that didn't prove that my stance is absolutely infallible. So the only question that I have for you, sir, uh-huh. is <laughs> how can you not believe that Craven didn't have a PhD, and what were your top and bottom thrills? Because you got to go to college to get a PhD, Fox. That's ridiculous, all right? Like, I don't care how much voodoo you do or how many animals you kill with your with your Potions that you quaff after yeah, you make it's, them. It, it, does, it's not, it doesn't give you a postgraduate degree, all right? It doesn't make you a scientist. Anyway, anyway, unlike with this ridiculous debate that we literally spent an hour on before we did this show... Oh. Um, I'm gonna agree with you with uh, Nemesis in my uh, as my bottom. Um, mm. I most like I'm on the same page as you for a lot of that stuff. I do think like it feels like it's trying to just kind of have its cake and eat it and eat it too, is yeah. like empowering purity, but also making your a uh, objective like titillation and stuff like that. Um, and then I think um, although it all is, I mean again like Roach's art's really amazing. Like it's I feel like two ways about it, but it's a, it, it's one of these things where it's enough. In another one of these strong early 1988 months where the little ticky tacky things can get you on the bottom, you know, Mm -hmm. I think for my top, I love what you said about dread. I really agree with it, but I think I'm going to say ABC warriors for my top. Um, I'm really liking it. Like the flashbacks to, Mm -hmm. um, to Hammerstein being built really evokes a lot of my favorite, uh, Robocop moments. Yes. And then. The big fight with the monad and stuff was really amazing. Just like the the art of that of of, of all the robots fighting this giant monster was. Re- this one scene that SMS does just of this uh, termite city. It's got all of the different like like uh, t- like, like like walkways and a giant statue in the middle. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, in five fifty nine. Yeah, and I think that one's really striking as well. It's a really striking image to me. 
Yeah. I, it was hard for me not to choose this one for these points. I mean, it's yeah. just, it's such a great buildup. It's definitely, there's these two, like, these are two really strong ones for sure. I think, you know, I'm going to sort of hold off on Strontium Dog. That one's, of course, fun. I always love Escara and Strontium Dog and all that stuff. But, I, but it, it's a early days for that. So, you know, yeah. kind of going forward. Um, but yeah, good, generally good stuff. It's been, this year has been pretty pretty strong so far. So I'm feeling I agree. pretty good. You know? I mean, yeah. it, it, this definitely, to me... Uh, you know, so far hasn't hit January levels of like what the fuck high octane, but yeah. it's it's still like it's it's settling into its groove. Let's say. Yeah, well, I mean, um, I think just the open like that that first um like five 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 just that 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 first time with a Simon Bisley and stuff like that. Mm. That's a real one of those real lightning bolt kind of moments. You yeah. Know? So it's hard to count that just because you know once you've had a month of that and then you know, here's another <laughs> artist of doing stuff, but you you know like it's different the first with the, the the first time versus the the continuation of that. Oh I guess. sure. Yeah. Anyway. With that said, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitch, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or podcast site, spacespinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages on Twitter or at spacespinner2k, everything else or 2000. We should be there. And come back next time as Super Surf 10 is underway. The ABC Warriors are in pitched battle. We'll reach the end of purity's of purity's midden face gets his rocks off and we'll meet a new friend, Tyranny Rex. Ooh. I'm excited. I like I like Tyrannosauruses. Yeah, it's gonna be um it's gonna be some great Steve Dillon art. There's gonna be like some weird music references. I'm very excited okay. about it. Okay, okay, yeah. okay, okay. Until then I'm Connor at East Fox and we are Space Spinner 2000. Spandig Vertrick! <laughs>